Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Hey, team. Buck Sexton here. Very excited to be uh, kicking it off in the Freedom Hunt with you. If you want to join in on the fun, and it is always fun here in the hunt. You can call 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, a lot to get to today. Give you a quick overview of where we're going today on this uh, wild ride of analysis, information, and whatever else it is we'll get to today. Um, we will talk about the possibility of, well, the possibility of the Trump administration moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and why that is a big deal. We will discuss religious freedom and the Supreme Court case that was just, well, it was just put to oral arguments this morning, earlier today, uh, on whether or not you have to bend the knee on an issue of importance to the progressive left. I've told you many times in the past, and this master uh, masterpiece cake case uh, this is the baker that had a same-sex couple uh, come up to him and the, the, he refused to create a cake for their wedding. Um, it has not been lost on me that for many years now, there has been a pretty clear progression. And it has been from tolerance to acceptance to celebration to requirement. <laughs> I mean, it's... And you have to bend the knee. At first, it's just living. At first, it's let's just let's just be respectful of each other and be tolerant. Then it's well, let's live and let live. And then it's well, no, actually, you're going to have to accept this, and you're going to have to celebrate it. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to endorse it. That is how it works. We'll talk about that case in some detail later on in the show, and uh, other things as they come to me. But the Biggest stuff I've got to get to today with all of you is the fiasco that is in a state of, I think it's early stage, but the fiasco at the Department of Justice. We are finding out that the Obama holdover deep state is oh so real. Yesterday was enough to rattle whatever, well, I don't have much confidence that the senior officials at the DOJ that have served beyond just coming into office now for the Trump administration, I don't have much confidence that they are nonpartisan, unbiased actors to begin with. But once you start peeling away some of the layers here, and once you look in to what has really gone on with the the Hillary email investigation, and then the Mueller probe and the Michael Flynn 
interrogation in the middle of that whole process, what you see is a tale of two justice departments. You have one DOJ that beds over backwards. One series of government paid lawyers that does everything in its power to make sure that not only does Hillary not face charges, but there will be no process crimes for any of her aides, for any of her uh, little helpers along the way. Right. That's very apparent and has been all along. And, And James Comey taking the people say unusual, I would say bizarre step of usurping the attorney general's role to tell the American people there would be no charges against the Democrat nominee for the presidency of the United States. I mean, this is incredible. You know, Democrats want to lecture us on probity and decorum and morality. And you're like, do you guys realize you put Hillary up? Hello? You put Hillary up for your last presidential candidate and and assumed she would win and were indignant when she didn't. And you you have the gall to lecture the rest of your fellow Americans on anything. It is astonishing. Even Bill agrees. He's like, look, she was a flawed candidate. I don't think she was real good, but, you know, it's what we got in Democrats, so we got to just go with it. <sighs> it's amazing. And then, as I said, the, the tale of two Justice Departments or... The way it works for Democrats and then Republicans, you see it with the Mueller probe and process crime after process crime. And I just saw a report when I came on air that CNN says there'll be more charges. I can't put it beyond Mueller and his top people that they might decide to they might go for the Logan Act, at which point this will be a pathetic to anybody who is not a complete and utter intellectual fraud. If they go for the Logan Act, which has been around for 200 years, and no one has ever successfully been prosecuted under it because it is a law, because it is never used, it is not tested, but it is almost certainly unconstitutional. Uh, Mueller, and also every every previous presidency that we can think of, uh, would fall under the realm of they also could have been prosecuted for. Never mind Teddy Kennedy, who was basically like, yeah, hey, Soviet Union, hey, evil empire that has nukes pointed at us, they might actually use. I'll work with you to beat Reagan, whatever it takes, right? They let that stuff go. They let that slide. But now we come back to what's going on today with the deal. So if they go with Logan, the Logan Act, you know it's a sham. And I, I think it already is falling into all out sham territory. I had tried to give the benefit of the doubt, well, at least leave open the possibility that there could be some honest end to this whole probe, whereby you'd have Mueller say, look, I I did everything I could, nobody got a pass, and so stop, stop the Russia collusion stuff. By the way, I should note, I don't think that's the way this will end, uh, meaning I don't think that Mueller is going to in any way, try to make life easier for the Trump administration. He's just going to bring the charges that he brings, and then that'll be the end of it, and he'll just sort of disappear, get a cushy big law job somewhere, or maybe become the provost of a university for a half million dollars a year, something like that. Uh, But why are people now feeling like the fix is in in such a profound way that 
the Mueller probe has to be stopped. What has changed? This is, it's important to keep all these details together because the mosaic or the the puzzle that we are putting together here is one of an enormous concerted effort by deep state elements within the Department of Justice to destroy and undo the Trump presidency as a partisan favor and payback for Hillary Clinton. That's it. Start to go down the latest and you will see the picture is increasingly clear. And the, the, the newest bit of information or the newest bits of information in the last 24 hours is that you had this guy Strzok who was pulled off the special counsel uh, special counsel investigation months ago and special counsel, I should know, wouldn't tell Congress about why or what happened or anything. Right. Didn't want to, didn't really want to talk about this all that much. And he's sending text messages to a, an FBI lawyer. Let's be honest. They must've been really bad about Trump. It must not have been like, you know, I think he fake tans too much and his hair looks funny. Right. I mean, it must've been much worse than that for them to say that Trump, or for them to pull him off and open themselves up to what we're finding out now. Which is that there are partisans who have stayed behind in the Department of Justice who are trying to end this presidency. And they're doing it under the auspices of justice. Isn't that perverse? They're doing it as though this is their duty um, to the law and to the American people and the Constitution when they are, if my hunch here, if my theory is in fact correct, they have been subverting our duly elected president, his administration. And remember this, there are already people who have suffered as a result. This is not a victimless effort. If it is the partisan witch hunt that it is so clearly to me uh, becoming or, or has been all along. This is not without victims. You already have people, General Flynn most recently, but a, but a few others who have lost their reputations, maybe will never gain them back and might even lose their freedom for some period of time. will have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in legal fees. A lot of other individuals around the administration are suffering sleepless nights and losing lots of. And remember, not everybody's Trump, right? For some of them, they're, they're losing their mortgage money. They're paying lawyers money they don't really have. Not everybody in this White House is super rich. There are people around Trump that are really worried about just the cost of not getting. And, and we know this now. The, the, the process is the punishment with Mueller. The machinery is the primary method of, quote, justice for this Mueller probe. Just jam people up with that and then see what happens afterwards. That's the plan. We had Sturzak. That information came out yesterday. So we know that there is a pro-Hillary flack at DOJ who is bailing her out, was reported today, hat tip Daily Caller and Chuck Ross, reported today that Sturzak was also the one, the senior FBI official, who interviewed Huma Abedin and Cheryl Mills, and they got this whole sweetheart situation of, you know, we can... We'll get we we get qualified immunity for whatever we turn over. We're gonna talk. It won't really be an interrogation. It'll just be like information sharing. I mean, it was it was the opposite 
of the Flynn situation. And now a lot of other commentators are catching on, by the way. The FBI wants to catch you in a lie. They can. These people go, oh, lying to the FBI is a serious crime. Uh, yeah, it's a crime. It is, it is serious in terms of five years in federal prison. But the more you know about how law enforcement works at that level, the more you realize that it's a tool that is ripe for abuse from the FBI that absolutely was abused against Scooter Libby. That was such a grotesque miscarriage of justice and really a, a stain on the Bush administration, as well as a stain on the intelligence community for letting that whole fiasco unveil the way that it did. And there should be some very senior people in the government who were much more who were embarrassed. But no, they, they were getting even with the Bush administration. That's what that was all about. Lying the FBI can be a not just a tool, but a weapon for law enforcement that can be used for partisan purposes. People are catching on. And I saw a piece uh, yesterday say, yeah, you know, if they push you long enough, you don't have a lawyer present and you get tired, you get flustered, you get frustrated. You don't realize you're actually the target. You're not just a, a helping hand here. All of a sudden you find yourself in a lot of trouble. Five years federal prison. That's scary stuff. That's life-destroying. For anybody who has a career, it's a felony. That's life-destroying. If you have a career, you have a family. People say, oh, Scooter Libby got a sentence commuted. I think he had to mortgage his house and went bankrupt. So it's not like it was, and, and had was disbarred because he had the felony conviction on his record. Because of what? Oh, yeah, because there was the, there was so much so much danger that somebody was put in because of Scooter Libby. He didn't do anything. He didn't put anybody in danger. And that whole thing was overblown and nonsense anyway. But I digress. Yeah, that's right. She's posing on the on the front page of Vanity Fair. So worried about being outed to the public. What a and the media embrace. It was all political. It was a partisan witch hunt under the Bush administration. It is a partisan witch hunt now under the Trump administration. I do think Jeff Sessions deserves some real heat for not stepping in and doing the right thing knowing that this is a street fight going on. Instead, he's running around like, hey, hey, guys, you know, let's not, like, throw any low blows here, you know what I mean? People are getting bottles cracked over their head in the street. Hey, hey, that's not fair, you know. That's how the Democrats play. You're, Jeff, you're the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. You know, you either you either come to play, too, or else you're going to get steamrolled, and that's what's happening. Well, we've got more information now. I, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even getting the, the, the latest tidbit. Well, there is the... Puma Abbott and Cheryl Mills aspect of this. But then you get into the fact that the uh, FBI guy or another FBI guy here was writing emails about how great he thought it was that Sally Yates profaned her post as acting attorney, attorney general and engaged in grotesque, grotesque partisan grandstanding about a travel ban that, oh, yeah, that's right. The Supreme Court just said actually implement it because it looks like it's legit. Sally Yates was at the Department of Justice and refused to do her job. And another Mueller probe individual, Andrew Weissman, who is a deputy for special counsel Robert Mueller, wrote her a note congratulating her. These are deep state elements. And we are unearthing them one after another. This should be very concerning. I'll have more on this. Stay with me. Did Hillary Clinton lie? We have no basis to conclude she lied to the FBI. Did Hillary Clinton lie under oath? Not to the FBI, not in a case we were working. Did you review the documents where Congressman Jim Jordan asked her specifically 
and she said, quote, there was nothing marked classified on my emails, either sent or received, end quote. I don't remember reviewing that particular testimony. I'm aware of that being said, though. Did the FBI investigate her statements under oath on this topic? Not to my knowledge. I don't think there's been a referral from Congress. Do you need a referral from Congress? Sure do. You'll have one. <laughs> You'll have one in the, in the next few hours. Notice how Comey there, that was from a while back when you had... Uh, then-Congressman Chaffetz, uh, now pundit Chaffetz, uh, who was pushing Comey on whether or not they really cared to find out if Hillary Clinton lied under oath. And you can tell from his answers, nah, you know, we don't really know, or we didn't look at that, and not, not trying to trip up Hillary. Let's be honest here, folks. If Hillary had to, I mean, this is a Clinton we're talking about. I mean, that depends on what the meaning of is, is. Uh, this is a Clinton. In an election year where she's the candidate for next president of the United States, and most government folks, including Comey, believe that she will be the next president of the United States, there was no lie that was so brazen and so obvious. There was no such thing as a lie that was so clear that they would have pushed that. Could you imagine the headlines? Presidential candidate Hillary Clinton faces felony Lying to the FBI charge. The media that's now like, oh, Flynn lied to the FBI. Lock him up. Lock him away forever. They would all be saying this is a scam. It's a Republican plot. It's the you know right wing. Uh, it's the, the right wing conspiracy, all that stuff. And we know this. You know it. I know it. So why do we have to pretend, right? We don't have to walk around and act like we're in the dark about all this. We're seeing it all come out now. So Hillary got one version of the DOJ. She got one style of FBI treatment, thanks to Comey and others, Sturzak and now this uh, Andrew Weissman fellow, who is who wrote to Sally Yates. Remember, she was the one who would not defend the travel ban that the Supreme Court just looked at and said, actually, you're going to implement the whole the whole thing. If it were this grotesque overreach that was racist and destroying the fabric of the country, like people like uh, Sally Yates said at the time, who I've heard her talking about things that she's never struck me as uh, impressive in any way, shape, or form, but that's not surprising. Lots of, oh, I can't talk about that, it's classified. Mm, I don't know about that, actually, Sally. I think you're hiding on some stuff. But Weissman wrote to Yates that uh, he thought what she did was great. That her politicizing her role as acting attorney general. I mean, she's just basically keeping a watch over the place till the real attorney general comes in. Mueller, one of his top guys in the probe, is like, yes, Sally Yates, that was great. What she did was pro-Hillary partisan grandstanding, and what we know now is that one of Mueller's top guys thought that partisan grandstanding for Hillary was just friggin' great. You trust this probe? Do you trust these DOJ lawyers? I hope not. All right, everybody. So is the FBI, in fact, at a place where uh, it needs a house cl- a house cleaning? Uh, are there problems here? We got Sean Davis on the line. He is a co-founder of the Federalist. We're going to talk to him about this and whatever else we have time for. Sean, great to have you back. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. All right. So what do you think about this FBI supervisor, Peter Sturzak, and his connectivity to the Hillary email probe, uh, the 
Mueller probe and the Flynn lying to the FBI component of this whole situation? I think it's a mess, and I think it's confirming a lot of suspicions which many people had about the ability of the Department of Justice and the FBI to actually run a fair, open investigation. Uh, I mean, there are so many problems here um, with the revelations about this guy. He was uh, sleeping around with someone else at the FBI, whatever, texting her all kinds of stuff about how anti-Trump they were. DOJ will not give those to Congress. They, DOJ stonewalled Congress on why this guy was dismissed. This was the guy who interviewed uh, Huma Abedin and Cheryl Mills. He's the guy who interviewed Flynn under false pretenses in the White House, by the way. Flynn actually never knew uh, that he was, he was the target and being uh, interviewed uh, by, by those FBI agents. He thought they were there for work. Um, Everything about this. Wait, wait, hold, hold on a second, Sean. That's very important because I've been bringing this up along the way. People keep saying, "Why would Flynn lie to the FBI?" And as somebody who has worked with federal law enforcement, I keep t- I keep trying to remind everybody: one, even when you know you're speaking to the FBI about something you could be in trouble for, you might get tripped up if you don't have counsel there. And two, the FBI can be very, very sneaky. In fact, they have been many times in the past in high profile cases. Sounds like you're telling me they were sneaky with Flynn. Yeah, well, they, um, I had read that he was under the impression that they were coming over to talk just general um, government business stuff, talking about security, justice matters, and it wasn't until they were in his office um, that he knew he was being officially interviewed for law enforcement purposes. Now, I, I don't care who you are, I, I, think, that, I think that's sleazy. Um, I, I think that's a game of gotcha. I think everyone should have an opportunity to have their attorney present, now, maybe you look at that and say, well, Flynn should have just told him to get out, got up and left, whatever. Um, but, but the question that I have is, you know, we're hearing a lot, well, if Flynn did nothing wrong, why did he lie? I, I think it's a fair question. Um, but I would say if the DOJ and FBI did nothing wrong, what are they hiding? Why are they hiding all this stuff from Congress? Why are they stonewalling when it comes to the Steele dossier, to the Hillary investigation even, why are they refusing to tell Congress what happened with this dismissed FBI agent? The, the whole thing stinks, and it calls into question the reputation of the entire Department of Justice, including the FBI. And I think there's something of a delusion at work here, Sean, when you have some people who are immediately jumping on the, oh, the FBI, it's the most trusted and greatest law enforcement agency in the world, and how could anyone say anything bad about the FBI? Okay, now all of a sudden you have Democrats that, are unwilling to question the police. Let's just start with that. After, after everything else we've seen, the FBI is sacrosanct, but, you know, local law enforcement in their communities, you can dump on them all you want. And I also think it's important for everyone to keep in mind that when we're talking about the FBI, and this is true also about Trump's so-called feud with the intelligence community, we're really talking about a handful of senior people within that DOJ monitored and managed bureaucracy. It's not impugning all of the FBI, but if the top is dirty, there are problems that could affect the rest of it, and we have to address it. That doesn't seem controversial to me, especially when you have... What Comey did, stepping in front of Loretta Lynch, taking it upon himself to say no Hillary charges, Comey leaking the memo to the New York Times. There have been some shady things going on at the FBI that we already know about. Look, we all we need to do is go back to, I think it was July, either July or August 2016, when Comey first exonerated uh, Hillary. 
that was the beginning of the end of the FBI's reputation for even-handedness and impartiality and independence. Okay, that ended it, because immediately what happened is you had everyone on the right attack them for what we now know is a nakedly political decision. Uh, Comey had drafted his memo exonerating Hillary long before she was interviewed. And even though we know that both Mills and Huma Abedin gave false, uh, misleading testimony or, or statements to the FBI about their knowledge of the server, uh, Comey papered it over and said, well, yeah, that happens lots of times. People have different rec- uh, recollections of what happened. Then we get to October, and we have the, the Comey slip, where suddenly he says, oh, no, we had to reopen the investigation. So then suddenly everyone who was on the left who was praising his integrity and independence throws him under the bus. So at this point, this guy, he's, he's a man without a country. He's got no one with him. And then you have all the shenanigans going on with him uh, effectively stealing government property and then refusing to turn it over to Congress, violating his uh, agreement with the FBI as it, as it pertains to handling classified information. This man's legacy at the FBI will not be one of impartiality. His legacy will be a completely corrupted and politicized federal law enforcement agency. We're speaking to Sean Davis of The Federalist. Sean, if I can, uh, what is your take on the state of play right now with this whole Senate race in Alabama, the White House's support, the RNC throwing money back in? Just what are your thoughts as of today with this whole mess? Well, I I think it is... um I think it's probably a dead heat if you, you put a gun to my head and said, pick who's going to win. I would probably pick Roy Moore, just barely. But I think what's going on is, is you have a reflection in Alabama of kind of the country as a whole, where it is just completely tribal and people have divided them, um, along kind of these tribal lines, these tribal divisions, where you know, to a lot of people I talk to in Alabama, um, it's not about Roy Moore to them, uh, and I'm talking about Republicans. It's about keeping the seat as a Republican. And it's, it's interesting, I talked to a number of people who said the, the threat from Senate Republicans and others to expel Moore had the opposite effect on them. Because rather than them saying, oh, well, goodness, we can't have him if he's going to expel, get expelled, they said, well, actually, i got a free vote now, and I don't even have to feel morally uh, conflicted about it. Because if I vote for him and he gets in, they're going to expel him anyway, and then we'll just get another Republican senator. So I think there is a lot of anger among Republicans there towards the D.C. establishment, towards the media. And, you know, any other state, any other time, I think more would have been toast, dead in the water because of that scandal. But because of the amount of distrust of everything that comes out of D.C. and everything that comes out of of the national political parties, Roy Moore actually has a really good shot at winning next Tuesday. Sean Davis is co-founder of The Federalist. Federalist is a great site. Y'all should check it out if you're not already doing so, thefederalist.com. Mr. Davis, always a pleasure, sir. Appreciate you making the time. Thanks for having me, Buck. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Do let me know what you think about all this, my friends. Do you have thoughts on the latest with the FBI, the Mueller probe, the DOJ, the... The CYA at the FBI. Let's play with some acronyms. Uh, So we've got all that and more to talk about. Conyers retiring today. Hey, hey, you know what I mean? You got to give it. guy's a politician. You got to give his people credit. There's some some good spin from the Conyers team here. Retiring. (laughs) That's one way. That's one way to play it. Uh, You got to like that. Uh, We'll also talk about what's going on in. Uh, well, what's going on with the possibility of the move of the U.S. 
embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. In case you don't know, currently you have the consulate in Jerusalem, the embassy of the United States government in Tel Aviv. Very sticky, difficult political situation there. We'll talk about that. And also uh, an update on this Supreme Court, this massive Supreme Court decision that will be coming down. Uh, They just had oral arguments, so the decision will take a little while. But we can talk about what is going on here. What's at stake? Can they make you bake a cake and write whatever message they want you to on it? That and more coming up. And we're just incredibly unself-aware and really dumb about, like, what the job was about, how important it was, and how under the microscope every move you made would be. I think they just thought they'd go in there and flim-flam and riff through it. You know, And I think they're shocked that the noose is tightening and that people might go to jail. You're exactly right. For the rest of their lives. People might go to jail for the rest of their lives. This Trump collusion. They're just going to go to jail forever because they're such bad men. Nope. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Say what you will about uh, General Flynn and his uh, pleading to lying to the uh, FBI, but if, if he gets 12 months in a minimum security federal facility, I'd be I'd be shocked. Uh, I would be shocked. And, it's not, and they've got nothing on Trump. And as I have been saying all along, despite what Mika says there, I don't know, I don't know what they're. I don't know what they're putting in the sparkling water out at the Nantucket Yacht Club, but whatever it is, it is making Mika very upset about Trump. It's just like, I'm upset. They're going to go to prison for the rest of their lives. And there's Joe to be like, that's right, Mika. Share your political analysis with the rest of the country. By the way, I'm working on getting my hair to stand straight up. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a new style called the Scarborough. Yeah, he's sort of a it's it's like a I don't know if you're familiar with what a with what a finance bro is, but Joe Scarborough is the television equivalent now of a cross between a finance bro and a frat or fraternity bro uh, in his 50s. Right. That's that's kind of that's what I see playing out there on TV. Never heard him say anything insightful in all the I don't watch the show, but I see a lot of clips of it posted usually when they're like. I mean, Mika, they're going to go to prison forever, but don't worry, I'll protect you. She's like, oh, Joe, please. They're just so evil. What will I do? They're going to go to prison forever. I'm here, Mika. I've got your back. Don't worry about it, babe. It's amazing. It's amazing to see uh, <laughs> to see how some people, yeah, this is what America has the option of watching that Morning Joe show. And, and here we are. Here we are now. Um Talking about how she thinks they're going to jail for the rest of their lives. That's not going to happen, by the way. That is not going to happen. They will not go to jail for the rest of their lives. Uh, but there you go. That's the announcement. I-, I will get to what we should do or what should be done about all this, but not yet. Tom in Ohio on WWVA. What's up, Tom? Good evening, Buck. You know, first of all, uh, Jeff Sessions ha- ha- has to uh, appoint or Congress has to appoint another special prosecutor to look into this whole mess. You know, we went from uh, fast and furious with the guns at the beginning of the Obama administration to uh, uh, 
fast and uh, footloose here at the end with the Justice Department and with the uh, FBI. And, and, and that includes, uh, uh, I think, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, it includes McCabe. It includes, uh, uh, obviously, Mueller and, and Comey and, uh, you know, a few other players there that I, I think, as well as Loretta Lynch, and, and, and I think that uh, the only way we get to the bottom of this is if, number one, there's another special prosecutor because this this whole special prosecutor with uh, uh, Weissman is tainted as the lead uh, 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 prosecutor under, under uh, Mueller. The FBI agents that have been investigating it's tainted, and, and I think the only thing that the way we're going to get justice done here is if that's thrown out or at least uh, set aside or let him Mueller continue to do what he wants, but have a special prosecutor investigating his. Uh, investigation. And, you know, here's another thing, Buck. Uh, it's interesting. It, uh, I think Sean Hannity pointed out that uh, Comey and Mueller were the two FBI lead investigators in that anthrax uh, scare situation here about uh, 20 years ago. And they hounded this one guy and said it was uh, him. And it ended up the taxpayers had to pay $5 million because uh, in restitution because it wasn't him. I hope that Flynn's wife uh, and and family because keep in mind you know they 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 mortgaged the house they've lost a lot of money a lot of grief and and um, Paul Manafort's wife who was woken up in the morning hours and still in bed and and you know uh, put the yeah they did a no knock raid on Manafort's house that's scary stuff and by the way that can go bad really quickly too you know the, people always assume that you're just, oh it's fine ever knows it's the FBI. Uh, someone comes in your door and, you know, you're scared. It's a little dark where you are. Bad things can happen. So there's this isn't no risk stuff either. Just based upon what is 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 being put out now, as far as the way this is, is tainted, I think both those families would have grounds for. I mean, I'm not an attorney, but I would think they have grounds for a civil lawsuit. And if I were on a jury, I'd, I'd award them money, even if it's taxpayers' money. But uh, uh, the, the point I'm getting at is that you know the, the whole situation with Hillary now makes sense as to how that happened, and I, the whole situation with Loretta Lynch and, and uh, uh, Bill Clinton, it, we, it makes sense now. In other in other words, the whole situation was set up by a bunch of people who were uh, a part of the resistance in the last administration, trying to totally undermine the Trump administration. And they've done a great job. I mean, think how much more Trump. Could yeah, it's been, they've been very successful. They've been very successful in trying to use uh, to to weaponize the DOJ and to use it as a means of. Uh, stymieing and obstructing the Trump administration and its agenda. So they've been quite successful up to this point, and they've already got, and thank you for calling in, Tom, they've already got uh, a series of of victims to, uh, well, scalps, I guess you could say, that they've already, there have been some legal casualties of this whole process. And there's not nearly enough attention paid to that. This is not just like, oh, we're going to find the truth and everything's fine. People's lives are upended by this. People who, in some cases at least, in good faith, whether you want to extend that to Manafort and uh, his his buddy or not, it's a whole separate issue, but at least this guy Papadopoulos and certainly General Flynn, they were trying to help their – they believed that they were going to be serving their country in, in good faith. Flynn had been doing it for 30-plus years, and now they are treated like pariahs by their own country. And they are in the crosshairs of a Mueller probe that is clearly politicized. So uh, on, on what to do about it, and, and this might be a, 
continue. We might have to continue this into the next hour for just a little bit here. But you have, uh, well, first you got Trey Gowdy saying that there is a problem here. What essentially what I've been talking about this hour that we should be concerned about what we are finding out about the FBI. Well, he is anti-Trump, perhaps pro-Clinton texts. People have the right to assume the people that are investigating them are objective and have not already made up their minds. That's why we need to see the text and we need to interview this special agent. But the bureaus had a really bad last 18 months. And, and, and this, um, this makes it worse, frankly. I do find it interesting. The FBI changed the words grossly negligent, which is exactly what's in the statute, to extremely careless, which is a synonym. It's just not what's in the statute. Another reason we got to get this agent in and then Comey in to understand the decision making back in 2016. Ray Gowdy's a former former uh, prosecutor himself, and he he smells funky. He smells the funky. He knows it's there, and he knows if they dig more, they're going to find out more. And this could get very ugly, my friends, because if the credibility of the DOJ and with it at least the top ranks, the top echelon of the FBI comes to uh, and it to, comes to be an issue. Buck Sexton here, everybody. Thank you for joining. Thank you for staying with me. I want to continue on our thread a little bit about what should be done in response to the continued nonsense from uh, nonsense that we're seeing behind the scenes in the Mueller probe. Right? What, what, what could we do about this? Yeah, we have to keep unearthing more information. Yes, we have to get to the bottom of exactly how partisan this may or may not have uh, been. And we also might have to find out about what really went down with the whole Hillary email probe. They've spent $5 million, I think it is so far, on the Mueller investigation into Russia collusion, which is not even a crime. It's a counterintelligence investigation masquerading as a criminal investigation, which is just a fancy way of saying this is all about politics. I would note that uh, the esteemed Andy McCarthy over the weekend wrote on National Review that this is really just about trying to find embarrassing stuff at this point, most likely. Not Not definitely, but most likely find embarrassing stuff about Trump and then hope that that has political ramifications up to and including impeachment, which could be used without there being a criminal proceeding, per se, against Trump. And you even had a very, uh, on on the left, celebrated, for reasons beyond my understanding, uh, writer at Vox, which is a progressive site, I'm sure you're like, wait, Vox? Yeah, it's not not worth your time. But uh, Ezra Klein was saying that, yeah, we should probably accept that impeachment as what we should do, impeachment as the uh, proper uh, political remedy to something that we don't like, essentially use it as a recall mechanism. That, that's what impeachment should be. It's not even for high crimes and misdemeanors. It's just be we don't we don't like this president. He's doing a bad job. Impeach him. Now, there are some big hurdles to that, like you need two thirds of the Senate and Republicans won't go along and all of it. But it just gives you a sense of what the mentality is that is at work here. And that's, I think, important to keep in mind. But what could Republicans do if they just don't want to sit around 
and play defense the whole time, if they would like to take action, as I like to say, and refuse to just be bystanders as Democrats politicize the whole process. Well, Trey Gowdy's got some ideas. He was talking to Brett Baer over at Fox News about maybe uh, looking into this a bit more. Maybe there should be something here. Uh, Maybe they should reopen the Hillary case, for example. From grossly negligent to extremely careless. Is that perhaps alone grounds to reopen that case? Well, I don't think they need any grounds to reopen it. I mean, the, the FBI head was picked by Trump. The DOJ head was picked by Trump. Rod Rosenstein was picked by Trump. So all of the old actors are gone now. They, they don't need a reason. There's no statute of limitations. They, they don't need permission to reopen something. Hmm. So what's the problem there? Don't the American people have a right to know if Hillary Clinton got a pass, which we know she did, from the DOJ so that the Democrats could have their presidential candidate turn into the next president of the United States? Isn't that, if we're going to talk about the sanctity of our democracy and our hallowed institutions and all that stuff, Democrats even occasionally make reference to the Constitution now. They're like, I like the Constitution. You're like, really? You ever read it? There's some things that the government can't can't do that... Kind of explained in there. Like, oh, well, now I don't like it. But they may open this up. I'll, another thing that, that I think is important uh, that Gowdy touches on here is just you see the shifting target of all this collusion investigation stuff, and that tells you a lot about what's really happening here. Um, only because the collusion case hasn't been made. I mean, keep in mind, so two of these folks that you just showed, they were talking about collusion this time six months ago, but there's no evidence of that, so now they pivoted to obstruction of justice. It's an interesting legal argument. So, I, I have to say, the, uh, the, 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 charge, uh, the charge is changing every week. Um. The charge is Logan Act, is emoluments, is conspiracy against the United States, conspiracy to violate the Espionage Act. Collusion is not a crime, but they act like it is, or at least not a crime in the context that they're using it here. What, you had the old, during the Stalin era, you had uh, Beria, who was running the, the, the secret police in... Uh, inside the Soviet Union and uh, Beria, who said, you show me the man and I'll show you the crime, had some insight. With Trump, they know there's a crime. They're just they're just going to find it because they've been shown the man. Doesn't matter what it is. They'll find something. They've already got people on process crimes. They're manufacturing crimes through the process of investigating crimes that they can't even name. And here we are. Whereas it's impossible not to juxtapose this with what's going on with Hillary. And you say to yourself, hold on, she definitely broke the law. Clearly, she definitely was involved in uh, reckless disregard for classified information and a violation of federal statutes. And they just said no, no crime. So uh, how can any... American citizen who is paying attention to this not come away from this and say that there is a 
two-tiered justice system in this country, one for Democrats, one for Republicans. I, I think that's the conclusion you, you would have to come to if you're being honest. And it's something that we have to come to grips with as, as a country because it's really troubling. And the only way to do anything about it, the only way to change this reality would be to face it head on and say, enough is enough. I want to know what's really going on here with this Mueller team. And yeah, I think, I mean, the political consequences might be rough in the short term. They should just fire Mueller. See what happens. Just force their hand. What are, what are they going to do? Not going to, Republicans aren't going to impeach. They're not going to remove. The media is going to freak out. The media is already saying Trump is a traitor. They're already saying that Trump is going to go to, you heard it before. Oh my gosh, the president's going to go. He's going to be in prison for like the rest of his life. Mika Brzezinski style. Uh, they're already saying that. So why not just stop this thing? Because as I've been telling you, there are people who are losing their livelihoods, perhaps even losing their freedom as a result of the Democrats' political vendetta against Trump. And as I've also been saying through the, for the last year or so, if they had collusion evidence, if they had a cohesive, coherent story about what Trump did with Russia that finally brings it all together, you would already, it would have leaked. You'd already know. Instead, they get everything wrong that goes against, you know, it only goes against Trump, never in favor of Trump. That tells you something, doesn't it? ABC's Brian Ross, you know, oh, he told Flynn to reach out to the Russians before the election. Oh, I meant after the election. That's a big difference, right? That seems to that seems to mean a whole lot. How could you get that wrong? Why would you get that wrong? Well, only if it was you're blinded by your hatred for this administration. But you would know the information would have already leaked. We would have been told what the smoking gun evidence of this so-called collusion was. And as I've also been telling you all along, if I could even if I could even conjure in my mind what that would be like, I would tell you, I don't know that Trump had people talking to the Russians about hacking into Podesta's email. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. You, you sound when you try to play out what the left is claiming happened here, when you actually flesh out the story in your head. You sound like a like a blabbering fool, right? Well, you know, there's like this. Uh, so the Russians, you know, they they really want Trump to win because you know we say so, and and there must have been somebody on Trump's team in the midst of a very difficult, heated campaign, who's like, I know how we win. Let's talk to the Russians and get them to hack into Podesta's email so that we can put out a couple of embarrassing things about Podesta that everybody knows anyway, and hack in the DNC. And open ourselves up to the uh, hatred of the American people for all eternity, as well as the possibility of federal criminal charges. Yeah, because it's a great plan. I don't know. All of a sudden, it turned into like Kermit the Frog. But I'm just saying, it's it's so dumb that you can't even say it in a serious voice because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Think of the risk. Who would take this risk? They're going to actively conspire that's the real term that should be used here but that's a term that has legal definition they'd rather use collusion collusion is oh you know this guy knows a guy knows a guy who knows a guy named yuri who once said something about a computer to somebody who knew trump or something i mean it's just they want to keep it hazy because it's about politics they don't want this to be precise 
legal terminology because then that can be disproven. But the conspiracy makes no sense. And that's how I've known there's no conspiracy all along. It's not even it wouldn't even be a good conspiracy, everybody. I know you know this, but so many on the left, they just they are clinging to this fiction. It's pretty it's, it's just sad. It's just sad. But it also harms the whole country and we have to face this down. 844-900-2825. What do you think about all this Russia collusion stuff? You've got CNN saying more charges coming in the Russia probe. My guess is they're going to get somebody who's like, uh, you know, tied to the Trump campaign. A lot of unpaid parking tickets. They finally found the guy or somebody was taking illegal deductions on their personal income taxes. Mueller's on the case. You'll sleep better at night. I know. Um, We also got Conyers. I want to talk to you about this. Longest serving member of the House of Representatives. Conyers. He's got an update for you. And I'll have an update on his update. After the break, stay with me. I am retiring today, and uh, I want everyone to know how much I appreciate the support, the the incredible, undiminished support I've received across the years from my supporters, not only in my district, but across the country as well. Congressman John Conyers announced his retirement on radio today. It just happened to coincide with uh, another accuser coming out to say that Congressman Conyers uh, grabbed her upper thigh during a church service, I believe, was the, yes, I'm getting the nod from Ty and Amy. That's right. It was, that was the allegation. He was grabbing a lady in a uh, private area during the church service. What's front row pew, Tyrone lets me know. Yes. There, Congressman Conyers, he um, he is gonna he's gonna just exit stage left. He's done, uh, but he doesn't want to face these allegations. He wants you to know, though, they are uh, they are not true. That's what he had to say today. Do you still maintain that the allegations that have been leveled against you are false? Whatever they are, they are not accurate, or they're not true. And I think that they're something that uh, I can't explain where they came from. Yeah. He's just saying none of the allegations are true. None of them are, yeah, all these women that are coming out now are just, they must be lying, right, Congressman Conyers? He also endorsed his son, John Conyers III, to take his congressional seat as though this is like hereditary monarchy now up in Detroit. I I bequeath my congressional seat to my son. Interesting. Uh, to Tyrone, what do we know about uh, Conyers' son? By the way, do we know? I, I've no, no. All right, we just we just know that he's his son and he's supposed to take over now. All right, we'll look into that a little bit. I I looked at the team here. They're like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know either. I just know that he's like, yeah, my son will take over. So there, so there's that. All right. Um, let's see. What we got here. Charlie in Maryland wants to talk about some stuff. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Buck. Hey, Charlie. What's going on? Hey, I just wanted to talk to you. I've listened to a lot of talk radio. I'm an old retired guy. I can do that. Anyway, I hear very little talk about the taxes. In my opinion, when's the last time 
we had a tax cut, and Washington actually had less money. Um, well, I, I've been talking about the taxes. Hopefully you listened to yep. the show. You've been hearing me talk about it. I think it's good. It yep. could be better. I don't think it's as good well, as people want to believe it is, but we want some enthusiasm for the GOP Congress to do something. Well, when they talk about tax neutral. Revenue neutral, me, yeah. Yeah, it's not neutral. They're just moving it from one area to another. They're not dealing with less money. I worked around Washington for 40 years. I was a low-level bricklayer. But I built the homes that these clowns live in, which I could never afford. They never do with less. When's the last time they dealt with less? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think tax receipts are at an all-time high, or at least close to it, if not all-time yeah. high this past year, yeah. Yeah, it's, they deal, to me, a tax cut is, okay, there's $3 trillion comes through Washington, D.C. Yeah. Every year. Mm-hmm. Okay, to me, a tax cut is two point five trillion, two point two trillion. That's a tax cut. That money goes back to the people. But who's going to fund? Who's going to fund Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Defense Department, etc., well, uh, etc.? Et <laughs> there's a whole lot of things that could do with less. Oh, uh, Charlie, I agree. But you'll notice nobody's talking about that right now. Not you don't even have really any Republicans saying it. Everybody's oh, it's a big tax cut party, but it's not a big spend cut party, and that's, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> and and I know, and Charlie, I appreciate you calling in and holding man shields high. I would just note that if this were as straightforward, people people get mad at me when I say, look, the tax cut may not be as great as people as it is has been held up to be up to this point uh, by some republic by the Republican Party. And then I always want to say, and they say, Buck, tax cuts result in growth and hiring and all these good things. And I say, great, I'm with you and I agree. Why aren't individual rates the centerpiece of this bill? If if tax cuts result in, and they go, whoa, whoa, Buck, hold on a second, hold on a second. You know, we got, there's some government revenue that we got programs got to pay for. And I always want to say, okay, so we're conceding a point here then. And that is that corporations are ahead of the line of individual taxpayers with regard to the prioritization of the GOP and the tax cuts that they will enact. That's, I think that's significant. We should at least know that that is the case. Individual taxes can't get cut all that much. Whoa, 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 hold on. You know, we, that's going to add too much to the deficit, they say. Okay, so it's not just any number is okay. And we're having to make some choices here. So they're making a choice, and the choice is to put corporations ahead of individuals when it comes to reforming a tax code. This is reality. You know, we can we can call it something else. You know, we can. Who's the fam- What's the really cute, famous hippopotamus that's getting all the? You know, guys, I'm talking about. You guys, what is going on? You're younger and cooler than me, and you don't know what the famous hippopotamus is. I don't. It's like really cute. It's like a little hippo. And they got like live video of it. Amy, you'll do a little. Find me the cute, famous hippo. It's like taking social media by storm. I was going to say we could call the tax code the cute hippopotamus, but it would still be the tax code, right? We should stay in the realm of reality. Hey, you're finding it right. It's cute. When you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's like uh, it's the superstar, superstar of the social media world when it comes to uh, cute animals these days. 
I personally, I, I follow a an account that is just uh, on on uh, social media that's just all cute bulldog photos, like little puppy bulldogs. I want like a hundred of them, but my understanding is that that can get expensive, so I can't do that just yet. All right, got some more calls. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. I don't know. I might trash Matt Lauer a little bit when we come back, because it'll just be kind of fun. I feel like it. Uh, next hour, we'll also talk about the return of a massive amount of Obama-designated federal land to the states and the religious freedom case the Supreme Court heard this morning. So stay for that and much more. All right, team, we've got a lot of calls. I want to get to some of them in a moment here. But first, we got some breaking news as I'm on the air here. An Islamic, this is from foxnews.com, Islamic terror plot to assassinate British Prime Minister Theresa May has been thwarted. Here is what we know so far. Uh, The plan was, quote, in essence, an extreme Islamist suicide plot against Downing Street by two men who have been arrested. Downing Street's where the Prime Minister's office is located. Uh, British authorities believe the plan was to launch some sort of improvised explosive device at Downing Street and in the ensuing chaos, attack and kill Theresa May. Scotland Yard Military Intelligence Security Service, MI5, and others have been investigating the plot for weeks. The two men arrested are Naimir Zakaria Rahman, 20 years old, of North London, and Mohammed Akib Imran, 21, of Birmingham, according to uh, police in London. It's all from foxnews.com. So... MI5, which is their very, well, we don't have, it's interesting, isn't it? And maybe this is a whole separate line of discussion that we should get into at some point, line of inquiry, which is that we are really the only major developed nation that does not have a domestic intelligence service, per se. We have Homeland Security, which is really now an umbrella organization for a whole lot of other federal agencies, and also has its own mission set. But we don't have the real equivalent of an MI5. We have law enforcement agency, the FBI, and we have different federal uh, federal law enforcement and regulatory agencies. But we don't have a body like the uh, Germans, the Brits, the French that is dedicated to collecting intelligence. So not even necessarily for criminal prosecution or criminal uh, uh, prevention purposes. Uh, but they just get information to protect the homeland. A little different. I, I, homeland security, yeah, kind of, but it's not It's not quite the same. We really rely on the FBI to do MI5's job here. And what we see with the counterintelligence probe of the Trump administration is that once intelligence starts to bleed over into law enforcement, you, you, you can run into some problems. Um, uh, just as, as an aside there. But yeah, MI5... MI6 is their CIA equivalent. That's their foreign intelligence uh, organization in the UK. Uh, MI5 is their domestic one. They've prevented nine terror attacks in the UK just over the past year. Uh, That's according to The Guardian, a UK paper. So over the holidays, even greater elevated threat of terrorism over the holidays. You have major jihadist publications, chat room, forums, all that stuff saying that they really want to hit the West, which they mean Europe or America. They want to hit us over the holidays. Uh, A big uh, push for that. And vehicle attacks, the most likely 
way that it would happen. I, I would note here that this thwarted plot in the UK had to do with explosives and IED, and it was disrupted. Counterterrorism, you always want to disrupt. You do not want to be in the reactive phase. You do not want to hope that your defensive perimeter or your security measures, once the terrorist or the cell has gone operational, you don't want to rely on that to stop it. Because then you're, at, in, in most situations, it's going to be limiting instead of stopping casualties. You want to stop them all together. We'll keep an eye on this. Uh, I should note that the French a couple of weeks ago, or no, I'm sorry, the Germans a couple of weeks ago, uh, they had a uh, a situation where they had a multiple raids on different German cities involving hundreds of officers, and then they let the guys they they let the guys they arrested go. They thought it was a jihadist plot on a Christmas market, and they said, "Oh, we don't we don't have enough on them." So there you have it. Uh, all right. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We're going to go to phone lines here for a few. Uh, let's talk to Chuck in Michigan. What's going on, Chuck? Hey, Buck, how's it going? I'm good, man. Thanks for calling in. Hey, you're welcome. Say, Buck, I'd like to get your opinion. If you need to think about this, I'm good with that. But I'd really like you to rate the GRU, the KBG, the Stasi, the uh, Gestapo and the FBI in order of what you think are right now the most effective political police. Well, uh, look, I mean, the, the, uh, hold, hold, hold on a second, Chuck. I mean, the FBI should not be in the same, spoken of in the same paragraph or in any way categorized along the lines of those other organizations that you just lined up there. I mean, I, I know you mentioned, what, the FSB, the KGB, the uh, the Stasi East German Secret Police, the yep. uh, what, what the Gestapo. Uh, you could also put the SS in there, the Schutzstaffel of uh, well, the Nazi SS Germany. Were a military wing, you know, yeah. they were really military. These yeah, but they guys, did they did regime protection, right? But the, I mean, these are all the. I'm just saying the the most evil, uh, the most evil uh, secret police organizations that one could the the the, the Cheka. Uh, you had that in... There we in, go. Cheka, that was uh, followed the Tsars. Uh, that's right. Police. Soviet Union, yep, yep. yep. And the, and the Czechist police. All these police. guys were designed to suppress political uh, uh, opposition. And right now, it's not looking so good for the FBI. Look, oh, see, I think this is important, Chuck. And uh, the, the history component of those other organizations, I find uh, to be an interesting, interesting topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I would say I would say this: the okay. notion that the FBI is in some way, you know, top down, completely polluted and infiltrated with progressives or leftists is not. That's not fair. That's not true. Okay. Um, because I, I think that there are some, and if we're going to talk about what is deep state within the FBI or where those elements are, you're generally going to find that at, at senior levels. And that's also where it's the has the most impact, right? Some FBI field agent operating out of you know the an office in you know Nebraska, West Virginia, wherever. You know he's not trying to topple the Trump administration. He's trying to prevent kidnappers, you know, uh, child sex traffickers, and you know terrorists. I mean, whatever caseload he's got, you know, white collar crime, whatever's out there, he's trying to prevent them 
from doing what they do or finding and punishing those who have engaged in those activities. He's not a highly political individual, right? Male or female. I'm just, you know, which whoever the officer may be. When you're talking right. about the big guys in FBI HQ in New York and D.C., okay, well, now you've got people that have real political uh, influence and perhaps even real political aspirations. And when you yeah. have a core group of them who are partisan and who are partisan actors, they can have a tremendous influence. And I've been saying this all along, like with the leaks from the intelligence community about Trump administration officials. It's not it's not the entire IC that's doing this. A vast majority of people, whether it's FBI, CIA, you know, go down the whole list of all the different agencies. They're just showing up to do their jobs every day. And they've got a very specific mission that they're handling. And, the, you know, the, the last thing on Earth they're thinking about is let me spill information to like the Washington Post, the New York Times to get even with Trump. People at the well, executive oh. level, at the very top of either those agencies, FBI or wherever, especially if they're Obama holdovers or leave behind the Obama administration, they may play that game. And I think they have been playing. It, and that's what we're seeing happen. So do you see what I mean about the distinction, though? Because when you're talking about the Stasi, the whole thing is when you're talking about the Stasi, the whole thing is rotten. When you're talking about the FBI, oh. there might be a few rotten actors, but it's not a rotten age. It's not a rotten organization. Well, the, the average Stasi agent, let's just pick on them because they were so effective. The average Stasi agent was just doing his job. He wasn't particularly political. His job was to see to it that the state was protected, uh, which basically an average. I, I would FBI I would encourage I would encourage you to watch. Uh, das Leben der anderen, the lives of others, and, and then to, and then to come back and tell me that you think they were just doing their jobs. Germany, for all of its flaws, was has has been a a very uh, educated and advanced uh, technologically and otherwise society for a long time. Those guys were aware that what they were doing was the absolute suppression of freedom. They had a justification in their minds for why they were doing it. But uh, they were they were miking up everybody and anybody. They were using neighbors to inform, not just neighbors, using family members to inform on other family members. Absolutely. I mean, there was, but I'll tell you what. Yeah, I mean, you go right back to Watergate. Where was the problem in Watergate? Uh, Deep Throat, we now know, was uh, uh, an agent that was PO'd because he didn't get to be director. We know there were two other agents who were feeding raw uh, interview data to uh, the guys over at the Post, which is why there were so many errors in uh, reporting. I mean, this is a, this is getting we're, we're getting a lot. We're covering a lot well, of ground here, Chuck, and I think we might be losing the, the plot a little bit. I, I think it's and I yep. thank you for calling in. And I would just say that there is a a very important difference between some bad senior officials or just some bad officials at an organization and an organization that has gone rogue and is bad. And the FBI does not fall into that category from what I've seen yet. Okay. And for those of you who are like, no, Buck, you're going easy on them. How do you, I'm sure some of you listening have, some of you listening probably are FBI agents based on the the general demo of who, who enjoys this show. I mean, I've got a, I got a ton of former military and current military listening to the show. I'm assuming we got a lot of FBI agents too. So I'm, I'm waiting for the Facebook messages to come in. Like, I mean, this is off the record, Buck, but I'm at the FBI and thanks for not saying we're all a bunch of, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi loving left wing commies because I've I've worked with FBI guys. I know a whole bunch, knew a whole bunch of FBI, FBI guys personally. First of all, a lot of them are former military themselves. There's a good contingent of them that are. And also, uh, 
they're a, a, a very patriotic bunch, and they actually, of the federal agencies, skew center-right. Unlike the State Department, where you might as well be walking around taking a straw poll of the Smith College faculty lounge. Oh, yeah, that's right. I said it. Uh, at the FBI, you're going to get a lot of people that are actually much more in line with what a lot of you listening to the show think about America and the world around you uh, than, you know, a, a lot of it's going to line up with what you think. That's all that's, that's all I could say about that. I'm speaking in very broad general terms here, but uh, FBI, tend, law, law enforcement in general try, tends to draw a center-right perspective. Now, a center-right perspective on law enforcement also should be without partisan bias, whereas I think on the left, they embrace that law enforcement is a tool of the state. The state is a tool of solving all problems. And if you got to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, you got to bend some rules to do what the state is wanting you to do, they'll do it. But that's all. I'm, I'm, we're covering a lot of ground here. Man, I was just going to make fun of Matt Lauer for a little while. And how he was apparently a, a paranoid maniac and didn't want anybody around who could even conceivably take over his job. And now NBC doesn't have anybody. Think about that. A massive massive media entity like NBC News has nobody that's really ready to take over the job that was they were overpaying that guy $25 million a year to do because they allowed him to squash all the competition. It's one of the grossest things that actually ends up happening in media is some of the incumbents the old, rich, jaded, established players just want to go around and they're not, they don't want to just swim their own race. They want to drown everybody else around them first. Make sure that nobody else can even try to compete. It's true on radio, I can tell you. Uh, and it is true and on the TV side. And it is definitely true over at NBC News. So, you know. Keep, keep that in mind when NBC's like, oh, we have no one to replace Matt Lauer. It's because they let Lauer have his say over there. I know a lot of you are like, Buck, who cares about Lauer? I just find the guy so odious and always have. And the, all of his disgusting conduct and everything else about him, it's not surprising to me. And that NBC News is like, oh, we didn't know. And there's a bunch of just so many liars over there. Just so many liars. A whole, I hope this whole thing, the, the whole Today Show routine of like, oh, we're all so likable and great and just like us and we'll tell you news and also how to do like the greatest, you know, greatest quinoa salad. No, this this should be something. Tell me about quinoa salads or tell me about what's going on with the investigation of the president. Don't pretend that you're doing both. I'm, you know, that's that's how I feel about it. But I digress. Uh, let's get into a quick break here. We'll come back, finish up this hour next hour. Talking about the uh, big First Amendment case, religious freedom case that's out there right now. And we'll also, that was argued for the Supreme Court this morning. We'll get us some Team Buck Speaks. Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. What does that mean, the significance of it, and the impact on U.S. policy? The Trump administration may change things up. So we got a lot left. We'll be right back. I meant to uh, mention this before. Buck Sexton here with you. Um, there were reports that there were reports this morning that Deutsche Bank, guten Tag, Deutsche Bank, very large bank in the German Hotland, yeah, Deutsche Bank was uh, auf Deutschland. All right, I'll stop. Uh, that they, they were uh, giving a bunch of information on like Trump accounts or affiliated. They pu- they pulled Deutsche records having to do with Trump bank records, 
That was this morning. And then as of me going on air, they're like, actually, no, the White House says that's not happening. You know, which is it? Yet again, they get something wrong. Looks bad for Trump. They get it wrong. Never looks good for Trump and they get it wrong. Come to your own conclusions about that. And another thing that I skipped over, pardon me for that, uh, Jeff Flake. Yeah, I know. Hey, Jeff Flake. What would you say you do here? Jeff Flake is going full on, not just never Trumper, but hashtag resistance by tweeting out his donation to Doug Jones in the U.S. Senate race in Alabama. Jeff Flake wrote him a check for $100. Now, a couple things here. First of all, Jeff Flake, I feel like guy's got some cash, right? Really? You're going you're gonna to virtue signal with $100? You know? I mean, come on, Jeff. Second of all, it's one thing to say that you don't want to support Roy Moore as a Republican you know, you are allowed to whether uh, you know whether you're an elected official or you're just an everyday American. You're allowed to say, "Look, I believe or don't believe the accusations." You're also allowed to say that you are making your own decision about what's more important to you: the Republican agenda or the specifics of the uh, Roy Moore. I can't even say investigation allegations that are out there. Right? You're you're allowed to make those distinctions. But to go that extra step and to say, not only as a so-called Republican, uh, will I, in the case of Jeff Flake, not support or support Roy Moore, I will actively help and write a check to his opponent who believes in abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy up to and including the moment of birth. That's right. That's when I think the anti-Trump derangement has gone way too far. Or in this case, well, I think that's really what this is about. I think Jeff Flake hates Trump, and the Moore issue is just an extension of that. It really doesn't have all that much to do with Moore. Um, Lonnie, West Virginia, get you in real quick here. What's up, Lonnie? Uh, uh, first thing, watch out for them bulldogs. Uh, I bought my wife a French bulldog, $2,200. So you're right. They're very expensive. <laughs> they are pricey. Yes. Uh, but anyhow, uh, the, the First Amendment, the baker... Uh, the old adage, don't make the people mad that make your food. Why, why would you want anybody that didn't want to make your cake? Why would you want or to force them to make it? I mean, why, you know. Why, Lonnie, I, I can tell you this, my friend. We are going to get into the specifics of this case uh, of religious freedom and making a cake maker make a cake for a gay wedding for the Supreme Court. We'll talk about it and more coming up. In the next hour, quick break here, and we'll be right back. Will the Trump administration decide to recognize formally that Jerusalem is Israel's capital and move the United States embassy from the city of Tel Aviv to inside of Jerusalem? We have David Ifu now joining us. He's the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer to talk about this issue. David, great to have you back. Always a pleasure to be here, Buck. Oh, so, David, before we get into the, much of the news of the day here, which is just the debate discussion and latest updates on whether the Trump administration will finally make this move, can you just tell everybody listening, what is that issue here? Why is this contentious? How do you have all these different parties? I mean, you've got Erdogan of Turkey calling this a, quote, red line today. Why has this been an issue up to this point? I know you could... That could be a three-hour lecture, but give me the, the two-minute version, if you could. 
Well, you know, Jerusalem is uh, probably the most contentious piece of real estate on the planet uh, for a number of different reasons, but mostly for religious reasons. It's important to different religions and uh, to to all of the three major religions, actually. Uh, And throughout different periods in history, uh, a lot of blood has been shed over the control of Jerusalem. Uh, I think it really highlights, actually, the, the religious aspect of the conflict. Of course, we know that certainly the Islamist elements, including uh, those like Erdogan, are very uncompromising when it comes to religious components. And uh, the the discussion of Jerusalem, the conflict over Jerusalem, ignites the Islamist Arab street like absolutely nothing else. And uh, that's that's the the threat that uh, the Trump administration and the Israelis are being faced with over the possibility of recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which is something, of course, that not only has Israel maintained since its founding, but which the Jewish has been a, a central part of the Jewish prayer and liturgy for thousands of years. So uh, for Israelis, before, this issue is already... laid claim to the city. David, just so for Israelis, this issue is long since settled. It's not as though Jerusalem is, is not the capital of Israel for Israeli purposes, right? This is about where the U, what the U.S. will recognize. Yeah. That's, that's correct. It's about what the U.S. would recognize, and it's about, uh, you know, what, what might follow in the international community. Obviously, the U.S. leads the way uh, to a large degree, to a large extent. That was the case, I think, when uh, Israel was founded. The U.S. was first to, to put its neck out there and say, we're going to recognize this country, and others follows. So uh, there's a hope, I would say, certainly in Israel, that, that the U.S. recognition is just the first step. What is the downside from the Trump administration's perspective of finally going ahead and doing this? I mean, clearly there's some trepidation. There are concerns. Last reporting I saw today is that they'll still push the issue down the road maybe another six months, but they may be willing to come out and state that it is just a matter of when they make the switch, not if they will make the switch to recognition of Jerusalem as the capital for U.S. diplomatic purposes uh, but are are they really concerned that what this is going to stall an already stalled peace process? I mean, I'm seeing Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority is acting like he's got a lot of weight to throw around when it comes to this issue. Yeah, well, there there are two effectively two arguments against it. Uh, the first, which I think is entirely unjustified, is really the threat of of, of outrage and, and violence, which has been the the not so subtle subtext of the response in the entire. Arab world, from the Palestinian Authority, from, of course, Erdogan and from other leaders in the region from Jordan, that this is going to ignite a firestorm. Uh, the question, of course, that needs to be asked, this is a matter of U.S. policy, U.S. law, what's morally right. Should uh, the, the Arab blackmail really be a factor here when, 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 when the U.S. law is at stake? Uh, the second argument that, that, that's uh, being put forth uh, even by those who, who typically would be in favor of such a move, is that the timing is bad because the White House apparently is set to reveal some sort of new peace initiative and, and, and effectively by, by recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel right now, the, the, the White House is going to undercut itself. Uh, it's my personal view, and I'm actually uh, soon to publish something on the subject, that now it would be a very good time to recognize uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel uh, on both fronts, and I think it would be helpful to the peace efforts, actually. We're, sp- 
we're speaking to uh, David Foon. He just said he's going to be publishing. It'll be on his site. He's the editor in chief of the Algaminer, uh, which is David. Tell folks well, the Algaminer is the fastest growing publication focused on the Middle East. Correct. Uh, the Jewish, yes, Jewish and, and the Middle East related affairs. Absolutely. Uh, and you have in this country some politicians clearly very opposed to moving the capital to Jerusalem. Interesting because usually, David, uh, Israeli-U.S. questions are somewhat bipartisan. I know the um, the left can want to sometimes come after Israel on a whole bunch of different issues in different ways, but there's usually some bipartisanship. But you even see some members of Congress like Keith Ellison who say stuff like the following. It'll uh, make it much more difficult to obtain uh, peace in the Middle East. It's just Trump. Uh, you know, stomping all over uh, what we've been trying to do as a, as a nation to foster uh, a negotiated two-state solution for many, many years. So it's really a horrible tragedy. There's been a, been a lot of attempts from the Israeli side to try and get this two-state solution, to try to get a deal with the Palestinians for peace. Uh, at, at this point, I, I'd have to ask, how long do you think uh, David, it's going to take before some members of the Democrat Party decide that they're not going to hold the status of Jerusalem hostage to the whims of peace partners across the table from the Israelis. Well, look, I think, you know, Keith Ellison is, is, is probably not the best example because he's kind of right in the left fringe of the Democratic Party. But, you know, there is there is some bipartisan consensus over this. I mean, Chuck Schumer was actually criticizing the president a couple of months ago, for not having moved the embassy yet. So uh, th- there certainly is a-, a decent amount of agreement on this. But I think... His- but, 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 but why hasn't it happened yet then, right? I mean, I, I think that's a fair question, isn't it? Why has it yet to happen? Well, I think, I think the main reason why it has yet to happen is because there's, there's a fear. Uh, you know, there's, there's this kind of instinct or, or, or tradition to handle the Palestinian Authority with kid gloves. You know, wherever there's a breakdown in talks, the fingers are always pointed at Israel, and uh, this Palestinian uh, uh, obstructionism is, is, is overlooked as the, as the weaker party, as, as the aggrieved party, which is how they've painted themselves. But the truth is, the fear that the Israelis have is that the Palestinians have never taken peace talks seriously. This has never been a serious issue for them. They've engaged in peace talks, and they've said that so much uh, quite openly. They've engaged in peace talks as an effort to these territory that can then be used as a launch pad to, to, uh, to attack Israel further and to force even more territorial concessions for Israel. And I think one of the things that the president uh, now has been willing to do and consider that others before him have not been willing to do is to try and call the Palestinians bluff and to say to them, listen, show that you're serious. Uh, and the way that he's doing that is by lining up uh, a number of repercussions, as it were, for uh, Palestinian rejectionism. You know, here's what's likely to happen if you guys don't play ball. And recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is the first step uh, of many others that he has lined up, and it shows uh, that he's serious. Uh, this is the first raise in the game of Middle East poker from the United States. David Afoon is editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. You shall check it out. Go to the Algaminer. Dot com. David, always a pleasure, sir. Great to have you on. Pleasure is mine, Buck. All right, you take care. Team, we are going to roll into a quick break here. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I'll be right back. 
Stay with me. I might have to get a new fleece, everybody. I've got it right here with me in the studio. Patagonia. Patagonia makes pretty good fleeces. Probably can get some better ones elsewhere. I'm sure many of you have ideas for where that would be. But Patagonia has weighed into the whole Bear Ears National Monument and Grand Staircase Monument situation by running an ad or uh, running a, I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah, it was an ad that says that Trump has, quote, stolen, the president stole your land, and Patagonia says that it is illegal. Now, I understand that there are left-wing activist companies out there, and they're entitled to their free speech, but to borrow from the late, great Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, you're entitled to your own opinion, not your own facts. And to say that the federal government reversing a decision made by President Obama at the very end of his presidency to just declare huge areas of Utah to be federally protected and federally owned land. Uh, I love how now that's like this, that's the new status quo. And then anything that deviates from that is inherently very, very pro- it's, it's terrible, right? It's problematic. Obama waited. I mean, let's all be very clear about this. Obama waited until the end of his presidency to do this. And now President Trump is the commander in chief. He's the number one executive in the U.S. government. And he disagrees with the Obama decision. He wants the states to have a greater say in this. He wants the state of Utah specifically to have more of a say in development and use of this land. And when you go out west, and this is a problem that has come up a lot in recent years, there have been the standoffs that have occurred with the federal government and the Bundy Ranch, for example, and there have been others as well, the Maller Wildlife Refuge and all that stuff. The federal government controls enormous amounts of land, in, especially when you get out to western states. Like when you see a map of some of these states, you're like, oh, so apparently the federal government has all the land in this state for whatever use and purpose it decides. And there is a state's rights issue that comes up here. But let, let me give you a little more of the background before I can return to the whole Patagonia. I'm, I'm not going to burn my Patagonia fleece. It's a little pricey. And it, it's a little bougie. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a frou-frou fleece, and I kind of like it. But it makes me sad that there are a bunch of left-wing activists. No surprise. Uh, but here's here's some backstory on what happened. I, I meant to talk about it yesterday, but I was I was in New Orleans and I had uh, gumbo and jambalaya and I'd like to say uh, po boys on the mind, but I, I can't eat po boys because of all the bread. But the other stuff I can, uh, and I didn't get to this. But let me return to what did Trump do? What has changed here? This courtesy of the New York Times. So you're getting the left wing version of events, but I'll just put the basic facts out there. Here's what he says. Quote, President Trump sharply reduced the size of two national monuments monuments in Utah on Monday by some two million acres, the largest rollback of federal land protection in the in the nation's history. The administration shrank Bear Ears National Monument, a sprawling region of Red Rock Canyons, by 85 percent and cut another monument, Grand Staircase Escalante, to about half its current size. The move, a reversal of protections put in place by Democratic predecessors, 
comes as the administration pushes for fewer restrictions and more development on public lands. The decision to reduce barriers is expected to set off a legal battle that could alter the course of American land conservation, putting dozens of other monuments at risk and possibly opening millions of preserved public acres to oil and gas extraction, mining, logging, and other commercial activities. End quote. So this is classic left-wing New York Times sky-is-falling propaganda. As I was saying, President Obama designated Bear Ears in 2016. Now, Clinton classified Grand Staircase Escalante in 1996, so that's older. But they used a century-old law that's called the Antiquities Act. That lets the uh, that gives the president the authority to set aside landmarks and, quote, other objects of historic or scientific interest. Well, guess what? They're talking about so much land that to say that this is because of archaeological sites or this they're, they're tying in Native American, Native American sites, Native American burial grounds, all this stuff. I believe the Navajo Nation is already su- is, is already suing the Trump administration over this. But. Sorry, millions of acres? That, that's a lot of land for, oh, it's for the archaeologists. You know, it's not, it's, it seems a little excessive. It seems a bit sweeping, doesn't it? It certainly does to me. Um, but this is an issue of federal overreach, and it should be treated as a very, uh, as a very clear case, I think, of the federal government just by fiat uh, overriding a state's interest in order to satisfy the left-wing environmental concerns and social justice warriors who aren't even going to visit these places. I mean, you're talking about vast tracts of, of desert, basically, uh, and this could be useful for mineral extraction. Yes, it could also just be useful. People might want to build out there. They might want to live out there. You know, the land of this country should belong to the American people, right? I mean, I know we have private property ownership, but I mean, in a general sense, the land should be for public use. You, you shouldn't just have land. The federal government draws a huge circle around and says, oh, you can't, t- you can't touch this. You can't touch this because, uh, because hammer time. No, I mean, you, you can't touch this because we say so. Uh, and, and I think that the outrage machinery kicking into gear here right away and saying, oh, it's going to be there's going to be oil derricks all over this area in Utah. And it's also terrible. It's like this is a vast, a vast area of of Utah. And it also stretches into some other uh, some some other surrounding states, from what I understand. Um, But Mr. Trump is not the first guy to do this. (laughs) Woodrow Wilson here to the left. He reduced Mount Olympus by half. Franklin Roosevelt, that's right, FDR himself. He uh, cut down the Grand Canyon Monument, or, or shrank down, <laughs> he didn't cut it down, shrank down the Grand Canyon Monument because ranchers wanted more area to graze their, uh, graze their cattle. So, you know, the courts haven't had to deal with this in the past yet, this issue, but they're now going to force this into the courts, which is the left's go-to response uh, whenever they feel like they can't get something through the legislative process they want it through judicial fiat and we will see what ends up happening here um, I, I think that this will it will stand for Trump 
Um, and there'll be some review here to be sure, but it's just not as catastrophic a decision. I mean, they make it sound like this is some area of paradise that will now be polluted and destroyed because Trump is some vile uh, McDonald's eating vulture capitalist who could care less about what happens at the gun. Meanwhile, you have somebody like Secretary Zinke, by the way, former SEAL, a really stand up guy. And he's out there saying, look, like we're trying to do the right thing by the state of Utah here. We want this to open up possible usage for this land. It's a lot of land to just carve out on a map and say, sorry, you really can't do anything here because maybe there's some Native American artifacts buried somewhere on it. I mean, it's one thing if you got a site, okay, draw a circle around the site, do your archaeological stuff, and but you're just going to take millions of acres and set it aside? But this is this goes to the environmental left, and Patagonia is clearly a part of this. And I don't know what I'm going to do now with my with with what I thought was my very hip fleece. I got it when I was out in Silicon Valley, surrounded by all these progressives. I wanted to fit in, so I figure, what's the uniform in Silicon Valley? Patagonia fleece. Bam! I put one on. You know, I don't shave for a few days. You know, maybe I uh, throw a little little uh, I'm with her T-shirt on, and like all of a sudden, it's like I've lived there my whole life. I'm just I'm I'm yet another left coast liberal hanging out in Palo Alto, right? So I get my Patagonia fleece. They're now saying that this is theft of land. It's giving it back to the state, but it's theft. Hey, this is a crazy conception of what ownership is from the left. It's not just Pat. There's a lot of people now. A lot of leftists are are up in arms about this. But at the end of the day. This was, I think, the right move, and Trump should be applauded for it, and Secretary Zinke knows what he's doing. All right, when we come back, the religious freedom fight that you need to hear about. Stay with me. All right, everybody, the First Amendment is a battleground in many ways right now in this country. Free speech on campus, clearly under assault. What does freedom of the press actually mean in an era of rampant propaganda? Well, there's also the religious freedom issue and the freedom of speech issues that tie into that. And a major test is now in the hands of the Supreme Court when it comes to religious freedom. You have a case Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. It was just argued earlier this morning at the Supreme Court. We have an expert on now to walk us through what this case is about, what's at stake, and what may happen. We've got Stephen Smith with us, who is a distinguished professor of law at the University of San Diego. Professor Smith, great to have you, sir. Nice to be here. All right, first tell me, Masterpiece Cake Shop, what happened here? Give me, just for, for those listening, give me some review of what the case is all about. Sure. So um, Jack Phillips is a baker or a cake artist, as he uh, calls himself, and that's not really a self-serving exaggeration. He studied art, sculpture, and everything, and he um, he bakes cakes, custom cakes, for particular occasions and purposes. He's also a Christian, and he's always declined to bake cakes that would send messages that he thinks are inconsistent with his Christian belief. So in this case, uh, um, a same-sex couple... Um, David Mullins and Charlie Craig came in to his shop and asked him to create and design a cake. That's the way the uh, Colorado Court of Appeals described it, to celebrate their same-sex wedding. He told them that that's contrary to his religious beliefs, and he couldn't do that. He 
said he could sell them anything else that he had, but not something that would send a message approving of their wedding. So they filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and um, the, the commission and the Colorado Court of Appeals sided with the couple, and so the case is now before the Supreme Court. All right. What are the two sides here arguing? What, what's the what's the case in favor of Masterpiece Cake Shop's right to say, I will not be a part of the expression that could be involved in my day-to-day business when it comes to closely held religious beliefs? Yes. Well, uh, Jack Phillips insists that he did not and would not discriminate against anyone, including this couple, based on their sexual orientation, that his only objection is to using his artistic abilities to send messages that violate his convictions. So that's basically his side. That has a sort of religious freedom dimension to it, but this morning the focus was a little bit more, I think, on the free speech, freedom of expression aspect of his objection. Um, and on the other side, the state says that it can apply its anti-discrimination laws to any uh, anyone who has a business that they open up to the public, that they just shouldn't be able to discriminate against anybody on the basis of sexual orientation, and that you can't create exceptions to that without causing confusion and undermining civil rights laws. All right, so what, what do you think is likely to be the breakdown here for the court? Do you think this will be a 5-4 decision? And how do you think this is going to go? Um, <laughs> this is another one of those that's really hard to predict. and Unfortunately, another one that sort of comes down probably to predicting uh, or guessing what Justice Kennedy might do. Um, I-, I thought, uh, and I should say that I helped to write an amicus brief in the case for a number of legal scholars on the side of Jack Phillips, And I thought that with the freedom of expression angle, uh, which I think is really quite powerful and resonates with an important part of our constitutional tradition, there might be a chance of getting the votes of, say, Justice Kagan or Justice Breyer. And that's still possible. But just guessing from what was said in the oral argument, it looked like the four typically liberal justices were disposed to side with the state and the couple that the four more conservative justices were disposed to side with Jack Phillips, the baker, and that Justice Kennedy, again, was sort of in the middle, asking questions, some of which suggested he was sympathetic to the colors, which suggested he was sympathetic to to the cake artist or the baker. Well, since you submitted an an, uh, amicus brief, please tell us why you think Masterpiece Cake Shop, the owner here, was was within his rights. Explain because what they're saying, right? What the, I've seen on the le- the left on social media, the argument coming from them, and that obviously is also part of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission approach to all this. Is well, if you could say, I don't want to design a wedding cake for a gay or same sex union for a gay gay marriage, uh, you could also then say, well, I won't I won't design a wedding cake for. A uh, a multiracial couple, right? I mean, that th- that's that's where this always goes. People say, well, what about what about these other civil uh, civil rights issues from the past? And what's the response to that, Professor? Yeah, well, the, usually the argument on the other side and the sort of you know horrible situation that's brought up and and people try to analogize this case to it is like the old lunch counter type thing or the restaurant owners does have a religious conviction that says that I can't serve African Americans. And uh, nobody really wants to go back to that, I think. But it's really clear in this case, I think, that 
Jack Phillips has no objection whatsoever to uh, to uh, selling any of his products to uh, people on the basis of sexual orientation. And conversely, the messages that he finds objectionable, he doesn't want to design a cake to convey a message that's objectionable, regardless of who asks for it. It doesn't really matter what their sexual orientation is. Um, you know, he's turned down uh, messages from people on uh, various other kinds of messages, and he wouldn't design a cake and create one conveying approval of same-sex marriage, regardless of who asked for it. So I think there is a pretty important distinction between declining to do something because of the message, and especially when that comes from someone who really is an artist. Uh, I, I don't think that's an exaggeration to say that he really is an artist. Uh, so on our side, uh, the, the, the view that we took in our amicus brief, we tried to appeal to one of the most uh, celebrated statements ever made by the Supreme Court. That was in um, a case called West Virginia State Board of Education against Barnett. It's sort of the famous Pledge of Allegiance case involving Jehovah's Witnesses during World War II. And the court said that there's any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it's that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. And I think that's exactly what the state of Colorado was trying to do in this case. And I think it, uh, the court could recognize that and not be eviscerating the civil rights or the anti-discrimination laws in general. That's not usually what they're doing. They're is, it a fair, to is it a fair analogy that this, is, this would be, and I'm trying to find one that's accurate, they're all going to be imperfect, but this would be like walking in, if an author is doing a book signing, you know, buy the book, the author will write you a note, and let's say the author is a, a conservative Christian, or a, a, let's say the author is an, is a, is an orthodox uh, Muslim, and you have a, a couple that is a, a same-sex couple. They come and they say, we're buying a book from you, but we want you to inscribe it that same-sex marriage, you know, is is the way of God, and I renounce all my beliefs to the contrary, and the author refused and wouldn't, and therefore wouldn't sell them the book. I, you know, it's the expressive component that's at issue here, not the actual sale or the day-to-day business operation. Is that a, am I getting close to the distinction? I think that's right. Of course, your case is much clearer than this one, you know, um, where they're asking for an exact... But, but I mean, they're really yeah. turning on whether the cake is, you know, like, this, uh, that's why I went with the author, right? I mean, if someone asked me, well, you know, I, I, I want you to renounce what you believe in, and you're making money by selling books or by selling your radio show or whatever it is, I'm not going to do that. And that's a pretty clear First Amendment right. issue. It seems like what the Colorado Civil Rights Commission is saying here is, sorry, you know, making a cake, it's not really expression. That's what they're really hanging a lot of this on. Yeah, that is the position. Although the, the I mean, I disagree with it. I'm just trying to get to like a, I'm trying to clarify for the audience what the what the crux is. Uh, I think you're right about that, but I, I think it should be added that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission has been pretty inconsistent on this because they have ruled against uh, several people who asked bakers to design cakes that would have anti same sex. Uh, marriage weddings, and in those cases, the, the, the uh, Colorado Court of Appeals said, "Well, that was a, they, those people didn't have a right to have that kind of cake baked." And they said, "I mean, there are distinctions between these cases, but the, what the court said was because the, uh, of the offensiveness of the message." So it seems that they're willing to recognize that a baker doesn't have to bake a cake if the message is offensive, 
on one side of this issue, but not on the other side. So there does seem to be a bit of an inconsistency. Yeah, there's viewpoint discrimination at work here with the way that the yeah. state of Colorado is approaching. No surprise there. Professor Stephen Smith of the University of San Diego Law School. Appreciate you joining us, Professor. Thank you so much. And thanks very much. Bye. All right, team, we are going to roll into a break. When we come back, let's talk some Team Buck Speaks. I'll get into that. Stay with me. Oh, yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of being in the Freedom Hut, my friends. Team Buck Speaks. That's what we're about to get into. I would just note that I am I'm, I'm finding myself very tempted to both say and write y'all after my time in New Orleans. Um, I am... I'm, I'm holding back a little bit because I don't want to be, a, you know, I don't want to be a fake. I want to be a phony. No fake news in in the Freedom Hut here. No fake speech either. But it is tempting. It's such a great contraction. It really is very effective, right? Y'all is so much better. I was writing an email today to thank uh, my friends down at our affiliate in, in New Orleans, WRNO, and I wrote you all, and I thought, do I go with it here? Do I go with the YA apostrophe? But I withheld for now. Maybe I get a few more visits down to Louisiana and some other parts of the southern United States where this show is proudly broadcast, and I'll earn the right to y'all it up. I'm I'm hoping that will happen soon. But I had said Team Buck Speaks. I am a man of my word. Let's get into it. And by the way, if you are listening and you would like to share some thoughts on the show, you can do so at facebook.com slash Sexton or you can also send us an email at officialteambuck at gmail.com. That's officialteambuck at gmail.com. By the way, if you want to get some gear, like a T-shirt, got Freedom Hut shirts, Shields High shirts, all that stuff, bucksexton.com. Here we go. Roy writes in with the following. Hey, Buck, your Joy Behar imitation is the best one yet. Kind of freaked me out, though. I cannot stand her. Well, that's very nice of you. No, that's that's kind of Hillary. I have to hear it to really be able to do it. You know, here I am, Joy Behar. No, it's 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 Hillary esque. It's it's grating. You know, oh, I'm so excited. Trump's gonna be gone. Uh, something like that. There, there you go. That's close to Joy Behar. That's getting a little bit better. Uh, I, it was in my ear for whatever reason after we played that sound by the other day. Uh, but thank you very much, Roy. Dave writes in. Uh, hey, Buck. You need a daily sports segment with Tyrone, and he needs walk-up music. He knows his stuff. Take care from Dave. Well, Tyrone certainly does know his stuff, and if he wants to create an intro, we could certainly do that. I'm, I'm up for it. Tyrone, what do you think? Tyrone's into it. We could do that. Uh, let's, let's give that some thought. I like it. All right. Also, oh, he wrote, great recommendation of Escape from Camp 14. This is also from Dave. Knocked it out this weekend, and I can't believe... Places like that exist on this earth. Yeah, I know. I, I can't either, my friend. Uh, where are the social justice warriors like Google and Facebook? Well, they're not not in North Korea, that's for sure. Doug writes in the following, Hey, Buck, enjoy your show. I struggle with visiting New Orleans, a great city, but why support a city that dishonors my heritage, uh, being politically corrupt, uh, and removing historical monuments? Thanks from Doug. Well, Doug. First of all, New Orleans is a great city with great food, really nice people, a lot of really gr- fantastic culture. I-, I love it. I think it's a great place. I'm a big fan. I want to go back soon. Uh, in terms of a politically correct city, you know, you don't hold it against the city that the political winds are blowing one way or the other right now. 
Uh, think about New York City. I and mean, this is a great town. I mean, New York's a lot of fun, super dynamic, so much here, so much going on. But our politics stink. I mean, I'm the first to admit it. This place is a far left bastion, and it's a shame. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't come and check it out, go to Central Park, you know, go get a burger at J.G. Mellon's in the Upper East Side. Maybe go check out the Metropolitan Museum of Art, catch a Broadway show, walk around the village, go on the High Line. All kinds of great stuff to do here in town. You know, catch a, any one of the different sporting events that happens around the city. Uh, New York is awesome. So the politics here stink, but the the city itself is pretty fantastic. Uh, all right, we've got Harley writing in. Hey, Buck, I'm really enjoying the history deep dives. I just want to recommend looking into a very interesting person who lived through and fought the American Revolution named Peter Francisco. I also happen to be a descendant of this man, and my family takes great pride in this. My grandmother's maiden name was Francisco, as is my father's middle name and my son's as well. We actually own an original engraving of him that you will see on the Internet if you look it up. It's a picture of him pulling a red coat off his horse and explaining how he caused a British retreat. I think you would find his story fascinating as well as his actions. Sadly, he is forgotten by most. Hope all is well. Shields high. Well, Harley, that's very cool. I had never heard of this individual, and uh, we'll definitely uh, do some uh, some research here, see what I could pull together. David, more history buffs writing in. Hey, Buck, you're probably not going to believe this, but Jean Lafitte was my great-great-grandfather. His story is so incredibly cool. Pirate and patriot. Later. Uh, well, yeah. Um, Jean, Jean Lafitte, I know a, a little bit about his story. I know that he was a pirate. I know that he was in the, the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean. He set up shop in the environs of New Orleans and would uh, board ships and say, give me some of your stuff or else. And then he found himself in prison, and the Brits were doing that whole Battle of New Orleans. Well, Battle of New Orleans, pardon me. They told me never say New Orleans, and I agree. Battle of New Orleans stuff. And the Americans were like, hey, Jean Lafitte. And he was like, may we be sir, I am here for you. What do you say? Let me finish my cigarette. And they said, well, Mr. Lafitte, would you be willing to help us fight the British? And he's like, of course, I hate the British. Who does not hate the British with their disgusting biscuits and their uh, funny haircuts and all the rest? I hate it and all that. So uh, Jean Lafitte, who is very French, obviously. Uh, he joined with the Americans and helped defeat the British at one of the final battles, the War of 1812, Battle of New Orleans. All right. Thank you very much for that, my friend. Jake writes in, Buck, I'm listening to a podcast, and you said that lawmakers are hiding in the complexity. You couldn't be more correct. That's also why you'll never see a flat tax. The more complex the tax code is, the more easily it can be weaponized and the more easily they can embed pork barrel spending into excessively lengthy bills that only lawyers can understand. Jake, totally agree. That is the unfortunate reality of our tax code at this point in time. I am very much concerned that that means we will never truly have a simplified tax code. We will never have a truly fair tax code. It is the single most obvious implementation of favoritism and uh, special interest, uh, doing things for special interest than anything else that the Congress does. The tax code is the easiest way 
to give out goodies and favors and not have there be any real accountability for it. So that's why if you ever if it ever sounds like I'm a little get off my lawn when it comes to taxes and even when Republicans pass a tax cut for corporations, it's just my frustration that this isn't much more transparent and much more uh, honestly, this isn't a much bigger effort at revamping the tax code than what we've seen so far, because I want it to be. All right, we're going to close up shop in the hut for tonight. Uh, please do send me your thoughts at facebook.com slash Buck Download the podcast, Google Play, iTunes, or where fine podcasts are stored. Until tomorrow, Shields High.